Um, you know, we, we talked about that question just earlier. What is something you have to be thankful for in life? And you know, we go through hard times a lot, don't we? We go through stuff, and sometimes we, we don't get to keep our eyes and our, our focus on the goodness that God actually has done in our lives and is doing in our lives. And actually, in the midst of our darkness, we can still say that he will continue to do in our lives. Amen? Amen. And so to be reminded, what are you thankful for? We need to think on that. We need to spend some time on that. And actually, we're getting into chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians right now. And this is the heart of God. I want us to jump right into scripture because this is a good one tonight. Is if Paul, remember, he's writing this letter because this is his actual, his, his fourth letter, right, that he's writing, 1 Corinthians, but he had written two other ones also, and he had visited, and he heard that this church had gone off track, and he's hearing that there's false teachers in the church, and people are saying, oh, who's this Paul guy? What, why would we believe his message? Why is he the guy? Because all these other false teachers are competing, say, what does Paul have to say? And Paul starts to defend himself, and we read some of that in the first couple chapters, and he starts defending his work and everything, and you know what he gets to tonight? He gets all back to, you know what, I'm, I was going to defend myself in this and say this, but you know what, here's what it all comes down to. My message is about Jesus Christ, and Jesus is real, and Jesus is good, and Jesus brings freedom, and let's remind ourselves of all the things that we have to be thankful for, the things that we see that Jesus is very real in our lives. And now Paul is writing, remember 1 Corinthians was a letter that was all about topical stuff and about the church and, and the, how to operate in the church. And the second letter, Paul's just going, you know what, this is from me, and this is my experience, and this is what I see. Never mind defending all of that. Here's my defense. Jesus Christ is moving in your life. The guy that I talked about, he's the real deal. And let me remind you that we have a lot to be thankful for. Amen? That the freedom that Jesus offers is here. It's available. Let's not doubt it. And this is what Paul is trying to remind these guys about in, in chapter 3. He's reminding them that we're blessed. You know, um, I, I can't remember. We, we had a talk on, on being a blessing, and we were on the kick at men's camp. Who was, who was our speaker? Was it J. Michael that talked about being blessed? And who is that, man? Are you in the house? Yeah, Lance, over here. We had this, this, this talk, and we brought it into our church that said, the proper answer when ever, anyone asks you how you're doing, the only acceptable answer is, I'm blessed. Because you might be having the greatest day in the world. You might be stoked, but you know what? Really, technically, you didn't have anything to do with that. You might be down in the dumps having the worst day of your life ever, but the bottom line is you're still blessed because God is still good. Because my life can be whatever my life can be, but my God is still good. And so I'm blessed to know him. I'm blessed to have salvation. I'm blessed that he died for my sins, that he has given me freedom to operate in relationship with him, operating in ways that he created me to be. So bottom line is, no matter where we're at, here's the Apostle Paul writing, look, I know I tried to, to do something good, and I wrote this to your church because I started that church, and I love you guys, and some of you guys don't believe me, and you've gone astray, so I keep writing letters. I keep coming to visit. I'm trying to convince you that I speak for God and that I only want your best interests at heart and that God is good. But you know what? Let me just remind you that we are blessed no matter what happens. And Paul's going, you guys can criticize me. You can tell me all of this. You can reject my message. But here's what I'm coming back to is I'm a blessed man. That's what Paul is saying, right? And we are blessed people, those that know us. We have freedom from sin, freedom from the law, the old system that was all about the law, the rules and the regulations. We have a personal relationship. We're made right with Jesus Christ that we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives every single day. And how many of us forget to tap into that power, right? We do, don't we? I do. I mean, sad to say it, it's available, and I just forget about it. And so the encouraging message that Paul brings in tonight <clears throat> is a reminder. 
to say, guys, we got freedom. We got the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We've been set free. We don't have to live under the, the rule of the law and the Old Testament and everything there where people were trying, working their hardest to try to please God. God has made a way where we can have immediate relationship with him and we can talk to him and he can and walk with him every single day of our lives. So Paul today is going to be talking about, in this part of his letter here, that freedom is here. And if you guys are ready, jump into your Bibles. Let's get going on this. Get your pens out. Get your notes ready. We're going to take some notes. We're going to have some good stuff to talk about at mini church for the rest of the week. I promise you. Why do I know that? Not because I'm confident in me, because a lot of times, including now, I'm not that confident in me. But you know what? We're looking into the Word of God, and the Word of God always speaks truth into our lives. It never returns void. We can open up this Word right now, and I could tell you nothing but read the Scripture, and we would all go home better people because of it. Do you believe that? If you do, that should push you over into even reading it on your own and not just waiting until you come to church. Amen? Amen. The, the Christian walk is not about what someone else tells you about God, but it's really about what you know about God yourself. Amen? It's a personal relationship. So we're going to be blessed with the Word of God, and He's given me some stuff to talk about tonight. But let's remember, like, let's be in our words. Let's be people who are giving the Word because we're reading the Word. We're filling up on the Word. But let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1. And again, remember I said Paul was going to kind of start to defend himself. And so he says, are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Because he was criticized for that. Like, oh, you're just talking about yourself. So he goes, oh, does it look like I'm starting to praise myself again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on our behalf? Surely not. See, the, the kind of the, the, the going deal in, in Paul's day was that teachers would go around and before they would teach or as they would teach, they would carry like letters of recommendation for themselves just to kind of encourage everybody and convince everybody, hey, I'm a very important person, right? I have various leather-bound books in my library, right? What movie is that from? Anchorman, right? <laughs> These guys would go around and the, the word for the day was, was like, hey, I want to let you know I'm awesome. Look, just read this. Here's my letter. Everybody loves me. I'm an excellent speaker. I'm an amazing teacher, right? And so that was part of the culture of the day. And so Paul says, you know what? Do I need to do that? Do I really need to do that and blow my own horn and show off and tell you guys and find other proof that I'm a good guy? And this, I like the angle that he takes. He goes, surely not. The only letter of recommendation that we need is you yourselves. Paul just gets right into it. I, I love this. He goes, I don't need a letter because you know what I have? Living proof right here. I love this. You, your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Amen? It is carved not on tablets of stone, not like the old law, not like the Ten Commandments, but on human hearts. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. That's cool. See, Paul is saying, I, you know what, I could tell you this, look, look, here's me, I'm a cool uh, Apostle Paul, excellent speaker, I had my Damascus Road conversion experience, I'm this, I'm that, but he goes, nah, you know what, never mind that, because you know what the heart of the matter is, is that Jesus changes lives, and the message I preach is proven by the fact that your guys' lives are changed right here today. My qualification comes from God. I don't have to go and prove anything about this. And sometimes, you know, we may get the criticisms, even in our own church sometimes. People come and they're like, so what kind of a church are you? How good of a church are you? How do I know you're good? Should I go to your church? I don't know. And really, you know, all I got to say is, well, you could come and you could do, but here's what I want you to do. Why don't you just go look at the lives of the people in our church and determine what kind of a church we are? 
because the proof is in the living example of your guys' very lives in this church, right? People can argue about style. They can argue about music being too loud, air conditioners being too cold. Why are we meeting in a dumb tent? You know, all of the, you can argue all of that kind of stuff. Oh, Carl's too young. Carl's too this or whatever. You can argue all of that. But you know what the proof is? There's people's lives who are changed sitting in this congregation because we're all about giving people Jesus Christ. And it may be a style thing and whatever, but you know where the proof is? It's not in the pastor or the staff or the, the worship leader. The proof is in the fact that we are trying to connect you to God and give you the best life possible to show you that Jesus is the answer. He is the one that qualifies us, right? Look at the miracle of Colton, right? That happened in my church, and I'm proud of that, right? That we're a church, not Carl. I'm not proud of, oh, Carl's awesome. You know I'm proud of? I'm proud that we're a church that believes that Jesus is the answer. We're a church that gives Jesus as the only answer. We're a church that believes in the power of prayer and that a kid that's given a 3% chance to live till one years old is there a little kid that we see on the stage or on the screen, right, with his glasses on and he's happy and he's normal and he's had a few bumps in the road, but he is there, he's excited, and his parents kept him because they believe in God and we are a people, a church, that the proof is in our very lives. And that's awesome. I love that. But sometimes people are going to come at us personally as individuals and go, oh, what kind of a Christian are you? Oh, let me say, are you really, how long have you been a Christian? How much of the Bible do you have memorized? How much of this? How much of that? And you know what the, the living proof is? Well, look at what God's done in my life. That's all I can say because it's all about him. It's not about me. It's not that I have to prove anything to you, but look at the life that I have. I wrote this down. Don't talk about how good you are. Talk about how good God is in your life. Because that's your greatest testimony. You don't have to prove anything to anybody, right? You only have to prove something to God because he's the one that qualifies you. And basically what he's saying is we're not, we, we don't think that we're qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualifi- qualification comes from God and God himself. See, I want you to write this in your notes just really quickly, just a little encouragement. Write this, I am qualified by God. I am qualified by God. If God is in your life and he's mo- moving, and stuff is happening, and you're getting closer to him, then you are absolutely qualified to go out there and to serve him and to tell anybody else about him. Some people say, oh, you don't know the gospel well enough. Or, oh, you sinned yesterday. Oh, you did this, you did that. Oh, you know what qualifies you? The fact that you're following God, that God has changed your life. You are qualified by God. One of my friends said, you know what? There's a guy in our church, and he's thinking of breaking up his marriage. He's thinking of leaving his wife and, and this and that. And, you know, I don't know what to do, man, but I've been talking to him, and I've been doing this, but I'm not qualified. He needs to talk to you. Hey, come talk to him. If he comes to church, he needs to talk to you. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. You don't need to talk to me. What have you been telling him? Well, I've been telling him about what, what it says in the Word of God, that, you know, like marriage is, is for life, right? And that, you know, you're not supposed to cheat on your spouse. And, you know, I've been telling him this, and I've been telling him, that you got to respect people and that you need to keep your eyes on Jesus and all this. And I'm going, then you don't need me to say anything. No, no, I do. I knew because you're the pastor and you can say all this. I go, no, you know what? God's moving in your life. You've experienced the goodness of God. You know the truth of God in your life. You are qualified to share with your friend and bring him back to a relationship with Jesus Christ and to save his marriage. You don't even need me. He's like, oh, well, oh, are you sure you couldn't just pray for him? You know, like, I said, I'll pray for him. But I want you to understand as you wrote that in your notes right now, I am qualified by God because he's in my life because I serve him. He's moving in my life. I see the reality that I, everywhere I go, God goes. Did you know that? Wherever you go, God goes. You're in a relationship with him. He promised to never leave you or forsake you. So you are qualified. Another one of my friends said, Carl, I'm going on a trip. I've recently been in your church a few months and God's been doing a lot in my life. I used to come from this other alternative lifestyle and I was into a whole bunch of other type of sinful stuff that 
that God didn't agree with. And when he first came, he goes, hey, I'm thinking about, I like your church, I like what's going on here, but I come from this background and this lifestyle. What do you think about that, right? The loaded question, like, "Uh uh-oh, this is going to determine whether he wants to come to this church or not. And I said, well, to be honest with you, it doesn't really matter what I think because the only standard I have is the word of God. And if I go to the word of God and I find out what he thinks, then I can tell you that his way is the best way for your life. So don't say that you heard it from Carl. It's what God says, right? It's got to come back to God because God's the one that qualifies. And he, and he, he listened. He goes, mm, okay, I thought you'd say something like that. I said, you just press into him because he's perfect. He knows what's better for your life. And you watch what will happen with your life. And he pressed into Jesus. And he got filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is teaching him stuff. And he's able to give up all of those old ways. And he's able to recognize, wait a minute, you know what he tells me now? I feel like all of these years of my life, I think he's a guy in his about his 50s. He said, I feel like that was all a dream. I feel like I'm living my real life now. And now I have joy and I have excitement and I have peace. And I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior and my best friend. And you know what, Carl? I'm going to go back to where I used to live in the mainland to all of my friends who are still into that scene really deep, really heavy, and they need to know what I know. And he's all, what can you tell me that I need to go and tell them about? Because you're the pastor and I'm just the guy that kind of came out of that and I found Jesus. And I said, I don't need to tell you anything. You know what you got? You're a living testimony. You got your life as proof that you were qualified by God to share Jesus Christ with those other people. So you go back to that scene and you go get right in there and you just start talking and you show people who you are and your life and you like start to cry and get excited. And he goes, you're right. My life is living proof. Do you understand that you are qualified because you have a relationship with God to go out there and to tell anything to everybody? And this is what Paul is saying. I don't need letters. I don't need anything. You're the living proof. I'm the living proof because I got my God in me. See, you'll never please everyone. You guys, you guys realize that's a true statement? You will never please everybody at the same time, right? You'll never please everyone. So I wrote this. So just please the one that loves you the most, God, right? If you're going to pick one, God, I can't please everyone. Well, just limit it down. Make it easy. Pick one. Who do you pick? The one that loves you the most, the one that cares about you the most, the one that matters the most, right? I mean, anybody been watching the Olympics? Anybody been watching the Olympics? I hope a few of you guys have, right? National pride, go Olympics, right? Have you guys been watching gymnastics? That's my favorite, gymnastics, right? Just because they do all the flips and crazy stuff, and once in a while, fall on their head, and it's kind of like, oh, but it's, it makes for good TV, right? I mean, let's be honest. They don't get hurt because their necks are just like, ah, right? But it's, it's kind of cool to watch them fall once in a while. I'm just saying. But I, I'm cheering on the Olympic team and the Olympic gy- gymnasts. What are they calling our girls? The Fab five right there, right? So one of them, you guys may have seen this on TV, and they've been replaying the video. Um, Alexandra uh, Raisman, she went and did her floor routine, and her parents were watching. Did you guys see that? And they actually were filming her parents. You guys know what I'm talking about? Watch this video real quick. Let me refresh you. Some of you guys don't know what I'm talking about. Watch how her parents are intently supporting her and watching. We got it ready?
See there, I don't know how many thousands of people were in that room. I can't remember if it was, was it on the, the bars or was it the floor exercise? It was the bars, yeah? And so I don't know how many thousands of people are in that arena watching that thing. And some people are in the USA going, yeah, yay, yay. And they got their opinions of her, right? And they're like excited. And there's people in the other countries going, oh, fall, fall, because we want our Russians to win, the Chinese, right? Wu Zing or whatever their names are, right? We want them to win. And, and you got all these different things. You got some people that are just there. They don't even care. They're watching the other Olympic sport that's going on. You know, there's all of this stuff going on. But you know who matters the most in that whole room? It's not even the coaches. It's the parents that had to sacrifice their whole life long for raising their little girl, for taking her to and from the gyms every time, for investing personal finances, for watching and helping her eat like good nutritional dietary food, for waking up early, for adjusting the school schedule and all that. Yeah, the coaches worked with her, but you know the ones that mattered the most in that whole room was mom and dad right there. And they watched everything and they knew the routine forwards and backwards. That's why they're like, oh, here she goes this one. Oh, no, that one. Ah, oh, you know? Here's what I'm trying to say because it says, it's not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes only from God. And this is what I want to tell you one more time. You will never please anyone. So just please the one that matters most. Just like Alexander Raisin, all of those other people, they didn't matter. That's great, all of that. But she was just looking at mom and dad going through the thing with her. And she just knew, that's who I'm trying to please. But in life, what, what Paul is trying to say here is, you know what? Our qualification comes from God. I don't need to please you with my letters of recommendation. If you're living for God and his purposes and he's got your back, he's the one cheering you on. He's watching me right now, probably going, oh, how's Carl going to do? Oh he's, oh, he's talking about me, right? He's getting the angels together. Hey, hey, look at my boy down there. He's talking about me. That's awesome, right? High five, yeah, right? I mean, he's cheering us on. And the only one that we got to perform for in our lives and live for is the audience of one, right? It's God. You qualify me. I don't care what other people say about me. God, I'm, I'm living to please you and you alone. Amen? Amen? Remember that about yourself when you go through your week and people put you down or people try to say you're not qualified or people say you haven't been a Christian long enough or you don't know your scripture well enough. Or you, just tell them, you know what? I live for God and I live to please God. And that, that's all that matters really. So whatever, you know, here's a recommendation. It's not good for anything, whatever, because God knows what's up and God qualifies me. Amen? It's a good word. And then secondly, in verse six, it goes on and talks about a far greater glory. He says, He's enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. See, he's talking about what we now have since Jesus came. Back in the day, the Old Testament, the Old Testament covenant was a focus on obedience to the law, right? The Mosaic law, the, the Ten Commandments, and all that we read through uh, Leviticus and, and all of those laws that came into place where God said, I want to have a relationship with you. I want your heart. But the way that you prove it is that it's all about keeping the law and you got to do all these sacrifices for all of your sins. And it really was salvation through what your heart and your faith was. But I need you to prove it through doing all of these extra exercises and this kind of religious stuff. And then God said, you know what? I'm changing it. I'm bringing in a new covenant that's actually going to be better. It's actually going to be better than the old system. And this is Paul going, how cool is it now that we're living in this new covenant, that we don't have to live in that, that law, that structure, and that obedience to the religiosity of things, but now you know what we have? We have grace. We have grace that covers us. Jesus died once and for all for us. He sacrificed for us, so we don't have to go to the temple and make sacrifices all the time now. 
right? We have this personal relationship with God the Father now because Jesus came along that we didn't have before. We now have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus is our new covenant. Hebrews 9.15 says this, that is why he, meaning Jesus, is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance that God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins that they had committed under that first covenant. So Paul, or Paul's coming in now and he's going, you know what we have to be thankful for and the blessing that we have? We have this amazing new covenant that we live in because we have this relationship with Jesus that all of those great people that lived in the Old Testament, they wish they had. We have something that they didn't have. We have this relationship with Jesus that they, they only could prophesy and think forward to the Messiah is coming someday. And Paul's going, but we know him. We met him, right? He came, he died, and now he's given us his Holy Spirit that lives in our lives. We have something that those guys never, ever had. Verse 7 says, The old way with laws etched into stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though his brightness, the brightness was already fading away. And you know what this is talking about? is when Moses went up to Mount Sinai and he came down with the Ten Commandments. That God said, this is the law, this is how people can have a relationship with me by obeying these laws. But you guys remember what happened? Some of you guys know, if you remember reading the Bible story, Moses came off the mountain and his face was glowing, right? It was so bright and so radiant because he had been up there speaking personally with God and the glory of God was on Moses' face and he's just got this shiny, happy people. Like, you know, literally to the point where people were scared of him because it was so like, what the heck is that? That guy's head is glowing. What's going on, right? And so he would have to wear a veil and to, just so that people wouldn't be scared of him until he would go into the temple or whatever to meet with God. He would have to like hide it because it was so like, wow, that's crazy brilliance. And it says, the old law, the old way, began with such a glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. His face glowed. That's amazing, right? The glory of God on Moses. But then listen to this, because here's the kicker. Here's what I want you to underline in your Bibles. Here's a big point of tonight's message. Shouldn't we, New Covenant, New Testament church, since Jesus came and died for us, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? Okay, that's heavy to think about. Here's Moses coming off the mountain, man of God, super guy. You guys have seen the movies, right? You know, the Ten Commandments. Moses' face is glowing. We go, wow, that's crazy. And you know what Paul says? That's nothing compared to what we have. We should expect more. We should expect greater glory. Why? Moses didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling in him, living every single day. He didn't experience the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We experience all of that stuff. Shouldn't our glory and the glory of God in our lives be even better than what Moses experienced? You realize that's a kind of heavy statement. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? See, if the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. I might need to phrase it like this for us. We should be very bold. Now we can be, and we should be. We should be bold knowing that what I got now with the power of the Holy Spirit in my life was greater than that 
shiny face of Moses coming off Mount Sinai. That's, that's heavy. He says, we are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see his glory even though it was destined to fade away. And here's my point. We need to expect more. You and I need to expect more of the Holy Spirit that is alive, that has power, that is in our lives every single day, not waiting to go to church or go to a meeting to meet with him or waiting for the next camp to come along. We need to expect that God can move in big ways and have big faith in our lives starting right now. Amen? Because someone once said, Pastor John Wiley, Tom and I, Pastor Tom and I were talking about this. John Wiley came and he said, you know why everybody um, gets all their needs met and all big stuff happens at camps? is because we go to camps expecting big things of God, right? We should wake up in the morning and expect that this is going to be a big day. The Holy Spirit's going to move in my life today. Right? Why? Because he's no stronger going to camp than he is you going to work. It's the same Holy Spirit living in you with the same potential for power. We need to expect more. If he's saying, yeah, that was great that Moses' face shone, shouldn't we expect greater because we have the Holy Spirit in us every single day, every second of our lives? Whoa, never thought about it that way. He's saying that we need to have this bigger expectation of God's glory. The word for glory here means splendor, brightness, magnificence, and grace. We can expect we have more of that in our lives than Moses did. See, when we don't have big faith, we're not limiting God. A lot of us think if you don't have big faith, then you're just limiting God. Let's be honest. God is not limited by us, right? Let's be honest. God's a little bit bigger than our limitations. But you know what we're doing when we don't have the big faith that can believe and expect crazy, big, miraculous things in our life, what is actually happening is we're limiting our ability to receive from God. You guys get that? We're not limiting God by any means when we don't have big faith. We're limiting our ability to receive big things from God. You know why? Because we cap ourselves. And I don't mean like street style thug life. Oh, I cap that fool. I'm talking about... Talking about we cap ourselves. We limit ourselves for what we can receive from God. God is big and he's unlimited. He can do whatever. But when we have little faith and we think Moses had shiny glory and I just have like tiny glory, right? Little glory over here, right? Then basically what we're doing is going, God, I can only handle that much. Okay, that's done. And we cap it off, right? See, what we're doing when we, have, when we don't have big faith, we don't limit God. We're limiting our ability to receive big things from God. So we need to expect more. We need to live the life. And, and guys, I'm not there. But I'm learning, and what I read in Scripture is truth. I want to be there. I want to get there. Amen? I'm not there yet, and I'm being honest with you. I don't always have the faith to dream big, audacious, out-of-the-box, crazy, miraculous miracles from God. But Paul's saying, why? Why, Carl? Why don't you? You should. You should expect it. If Moses' face can glow in the dark, what about your life? You get the Holy <laughs> Spirit every single day of your lives, right? There's this book that, the, that, that we're starting to read the leadership teams in this church. And if you want to get a good read on a book that will boost your faith, read this, Sun Stands Still by Stephen Furtick. Write that down and go Amazon that thing or put it on your Kindle or whatever you do. Sun Stands Still by Stephen Furtick. And the, the premise of this book is having huge faith to expect big things from a big God. Amen? Look, look Here's the, what the book is based on. This verse in Joshua 10 uh, verses 7 through 14. Five Amorite uh, armies are coming against Joshua and the people of Israel, God's people. And they're coming to fight him, and Joshua goes to battle them, and he's going, you know what, God, we're going to go battle these people. And he's asking, hey, are we going to beat these guys? Are you on our side? Are you going to help us? We need to beat these five armies that are against us. Listen to what it says in Joshua 10, 7 to 14. Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. 
Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I've given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up against you. So Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into a panic. The Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horon, killing them all along the way to Azekah and Makedah. As the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Horon, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Azekah. See, God was on their side. He brought in all of this terrible hailstorm to kill them. He was fighting for them. They were winning. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. God was on their side. He was keeping his promise. But look at verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. In front of everybody, he was accountable for what his words he's about to say. And he said this, Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. He said, you know what? God said we're supposed to beat all these guys. The sun looks like it's going to start going down. There's not going to be enough daylight for us to kill all these guys and wipe them out. But I believe in God's promise to me. So I'm going to have the faith to expect that he's a big God, that he's going to keep his promise. So God, you know what? Can you just keep the sun out longer for us? Just go ahead and stop the sun and the moon and the sky because we need light to kill the rest of these guys. That is a crazy prayer. That is a huge, large faith, audacious prayer that Joshua prayed. God, stop the day so we can keep killing these guys, right? Well, listen to what happened. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this not recorded in the book of Jashar or the book of the upright? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on a normal day. In fact, it stayed out for about a whole day extra. It says, there has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. God says, because I have the Holy Spirit living in me, that what he's capable of doing in my life is far bigger and far better than shiny face Moses. Do you believe that? This is what he's saying. You know why there hasn't been too many times when the sun has sat still, sun stood still in the sky? How many other people do you know have ever asked God for something like that, right? You know why God did that? Because here's a guy that says, I believe in the promises of the Lord, and I'm going to have the faith to ask for big things where if, if, it doesn't come, if it comes through, I had nothing to do with it. It's something that only God can do, and we need to expect that. How would you like to be the kind of person that said, you know what, I can't believe this, because here's my, one of my prayers. I'm going to let you in on a, a big, audacious goal of mine. God, it'd be pretty cool if in the next couple of years, you could double our church. God, we're at about 2,200 or something like that now. God, what if we hit over 4,000, like in the next year or two? Why not pray that? We serve a big God, right? Yeah, I may sound stupid, and God might not do it, but I'm called to ask and to expect big things from God. If we doubled our church, we have double our ministries, we have double our influence in our community, we're bringing more people into Jesus, we have the ability to plant more churches, we have the ability to support more missionaries, to send mission trips, to raise up new pastors, why wouldn't I want to ask for something that fits in with God's kingdom purposes and believe that I have the Holy Spirit that allows, allows me to see bigger and better glory than Moses with a shiny face in the Old Testament, right? We're supposed to ask. We need to get in the habit. What if your marriage looked like this? Everybody's talking about your marriage in a good way because everybody wants what you have in your marriage. 
and you get along with your wife amazing and you raise your kids and your family and everybody else wants a part of it and you go through tough times and you overcome some of us are going you know what that's that's in, that would never happen to me that's 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 stupid i could never pray that guess what you just capped yourself you limited god's glory in your life why don't you start praying that because what happens if god shows up and you get that how blessed are you going to be what if you're the guy that's going you know what god i i just don't think i can ever get a job i'm trying i'm trying i'm trying well what if you just started asking god i want my dream job that pays all of my bills, that allows me to do the things that I love to do, that it, it gives me flexible hours to continue to do stuff with my family, and while I'm at work, that I could shine your light in that environment and do all of that. Why not pray that? Why do we limit and go, nah, it just doesn't work because here's my resume. It's not going to work. Why don't we start praying prayers of expectation of the glory of God in our lives? Amen? Why don't you start praying that for your job, for your, for your marriage, for your calling? God, I don't know my calling. I'm never going to find it. Why don't you ask God, God, show me my, my calling. Let it be an amazing thing where I wake up every single day in love with my life and doing what I do best. Lord, I don't even know what that is, but I pray that that happens in Jesus' name. Why not pray that? Right? He tells us we can expect these kind of big things. Have the audacity to ask God for things that only God can do. In the book, Stephen Furtick says this, unless it sounds outrageous to us, it might sound insulting to God. Right? Unless it sounds so far outrageous that only God can do it, we might be insulting him by saying, God, can hopefully I have a good day tomorrow. God's going, really? That's the best you got? I created the universe and you're just hoping that you'll have a good day tomorrow? Right? Why don't we expect that the glory of God is with me and God, I'm asking for the crazy things. God, I want a new car and I don't have the money to get it and it's not going to happen and no one believes me in this world. They laugh at me, but you're my God. And your glory is greater in me because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to start asking you for that kind of stuff. Amen? But we got to be a church and a people that does not limit God. In fact, in James 5, 17, listen to this. Elijah, the prophet, back in Old Testament, he was as human as we are, yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Did you know that Elijah, Joshua, Moses, didn't have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in their lives like you and I do. So why are we limiting ourselves? Here's Elijah going, hey, I'm as human as you. I told the rain to stop. It stopped for three and a half years, right? Why wouldn't we start to have that kind of boldness and that kind of faith and that kind of expectation that says the new covenant is even better than the old covenant? What those guys had in the Old Testament is nothing compared to what we have with the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in us and the relationship we have to going directly to God, not through a priest, not through animal sacrifice, directly to God every single day and asking for our needs to be met. Amen? I mean, this is a pretty, this is a pretty heavy passage that we're, we're, we're reading here. It's not just positive, happy, you know, thinking, happy talk or something. This is the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to believe it and expect it. Verse 14 says, but the people's minds were hardened and to this day Whenever the old covenant, the old law is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. There's this veil of unbelief and religiosity that says, I got to jump through all the hoops and carry out the religious system of the law. And he's saying, you know what? When, whenever that law is read and people focus on that law and that religious system, that veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. See, that's it. That's what it comes back to. And that's what Paul is saying. You know that old stuff, the, the laws and stuff? Don't stop focusing on that. You know what we need? We need Jesus, right? Jesus is the answer. Jesus, it's all about Jesus. 
Jesus is the name above all names. I was telling the staff, we need to get into the habit of being careful to just throw around the word God. You know why God, we don't want to just throw around the word God all the time? Because God has gotten misinterpreted in this world. And people say God for all kind of different beings and created things and things like that. You guys know what I'm talking about? We throw around the word God and it just means something else to all kind of different people. But you come back to the word Jesus that the Bible says is the name above all names. Jesus is the one that gave us the relationship with God. Amen? It was through what Jesus did that we have relationship with the Father. And then Jesus sent us the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to get into the habit of being a church that goes easy on the word God and goes heavy on the word Jesus. Right? And we're not saying that Jesus is more powerful than the Father because we've learned in Scripture that the Father has authority over the Son. But Jesus is the answer that God provided. Jesus is the focus of the entire Bible. Do you understand that? Not just the, the New Testament. The Old Testament was all about building up to and prophesying and teaching us our need for Jesus and telling us that in years to come, Jesus is going to come. The whole Old Testament system was about why we were in sin, why we needed a Savior. And then when Jesus came, you read the Gospels and you're like, it's all about Jesus and his life and his teaching and all of that. He makes it right with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And then the rest of all of Paul's letters point back to Jesus. Do you understand that Jesus is the central focus of the entire Bible and of all of Christianity? You guys remember that it's actually his name, Christ, Christianity, that it's all about? And so Paul is saying, hey, never mind about the old covenant and the laws and all of that stuff. What we need, we need Jesus. We need to focus on Jesus. We need to be a people that is focused on Jesus. It's don't focus on the religion, focus on the what? Re relationship. You guys all know that one. That's a popular like, Christian slogan, right? We're not in a religion. We're in a relationship. But it's true, right? Don't focus on the religion. Focus on the relationship. Don't focus on Christianity. Focus on Christ. Amen? And Christianity is great. Our church is great. That's cool. But you know what we're all here for? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then never mind your relationship with the church or the religious system Christianity because the focus has to be about Jesus right? Don't focus on going to church. Focus on being his church. Don't focus on circumstances. Focus on the Savior. Don't focus on worry. Focus on worship. Don't focus on other sheep. Focus on the shepherd, right? It's got to all be about Jesus. And I love that he just says, this veil can only be removed by believing in Christ. Is that good? I think that's good right there. I'm sorry, that's not me. That's the word of God, and I'm excited about that. It's got to be a focus on Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 15, he talks about freedom. He says, yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. Why? Because some people are focused on Moses' writings, the religious nature of the law and all of that stuff. And again, focus even in New Testament times, let's focus on Christianity, and let's forget that we're supposed to focus on Christ himself. And he says, and so they do not understand, but in verse 16 he says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen? Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I want to be where the spirit of the Lord is, because I want that freedom. And so we're told to walk in his freedom. It's a freedom from, from sin, from death, from shame, from guilt, from discouragement, from addiction, from loneliness, from mediocrity, from from worthlessness, from, from feeling like you're of no value, from all of this stuff. It's a freedom from unbelief. It's not a freedom to do what we want to do. Some people misinterpret it. I'm saved. Now I have freedom to do what I want. No. You know what you have freedom to do? You now have freedom to do what God wants. 
you now have freedom to live an amazing life because God is bigger, better, smarter, and loves you more. Now you are free to walk in his light in that new relationship with him. Before you're in bondage to sin and you go, yeah, God's way looks good, but you know what? I'm stuck over here in the ways of the world. When you turn to God, the freedom comes and now, God, I can live for you. And what living for you is what it's all about because you died for me, you lived for me. It's, it's this freedom to call him Father. And not to call him Father, but the Hebrew word for intimate daddy is the word Abba, A-B-B-A. It's not that super group of the 70s or whatever. Abba, the magic of Abba. I'm talking about the fact that we now have freedom to go to the creator of the universe and go, hey, Dad, come here, Dad. Can I just, can you talk to me? Can I just crawl up in your lap and just pray and just, can you hold me right now? I know that you see everything I'm going through. I, there's something so special when we go from living life on our own to now calling God the creator, Daddy. I have the freedom in Christ now. Where the spirit of the Lord is, I have freedom to call him Daddy. That's a big deal. You ever seen someone who's gotten adopted and when they go from that moment of calling them Mr. So-and-so to Dad, when it changes in their heart, when they really become the son or the daughter of that? You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever watch that show Different Strokes back in the day? You guys remember Different Strokes? Arnold, remember little Arnold? What you talking about, Willis? You guys remember that one? The story is like the, the two young black kids in New York City, their parents died, and their parents' friend, this rich millionaire, Park Avenue penthouse or whatever, he adopts these, little, these two little boys, right? He's white, they're black. It's like just a whole show on funny, like, cultural stuff and, you know, whatever. It was an old sitcom, right? And I used to watch that show, but, but little Arnold and little Willis were, were trying to, like, find their new way, and they're adopted. But do you remember, even when I was a little kid watching that show, I remember the episode where he said, hey, can we call you Dad instead of Mr. D? You guys remember that? Mr. Drummond, they would call him. Mr. Drummond, Mr. Drummond. And there was the episode where it changed. Hey, can we call you Dad? Because you're our dad now. And even as a little kid, I got a little bit emotionally like stirred up, right? I'm like 11 years old. I'm like, oh, that's touching, right? I didn't even know, you know, because I'm young. But I'm like, well, that, something happened right there. Is that they entered into a new relationship where their last name was Arnold Jackson, and it turned to Arnold Drummond. And now they called Mr. Drummond Dad and Daddy. And there's a special thing. And when Jesus Christ came and did what he did for us, the new covenant, we now have the freedom to call him dad, to call him father. And that's cool. Isn't that cool? That's exciting to me. That's cool. And so now we have that where the spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom to call him dad. There's freedom to do what he wants me to do, not what I want to do because I was getting into trouble in my life when I was calling the shots. And then he says, so all of us, last verse, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. I like that he says, so that now we can reflect his glory. It keeps us humble to remember that it's anything good that happens in our life isn't about us. It's the fact that we're reflecting his glory. And when I have something good to share with any of you guys, the only thing that, that's happening here, really, in reality, is I'm just being a mirror. And God is shining on me and it's reflecting onto you guys. That's all I have to say. Carl doesn't have anything to say. Carl is just a mirror. You and I are simply mirrors that when we enter into a relationship with God, now we're able to reflect God's glory into other people's lives. You guys understand that? That it's not necessarily the mirror's credit or blame for what the mirror shows. I hate to disappoint you guys. Some of you guys woke up this morning, looked in the mirror, and it's not the mirror's fault. That's you, baby. 
I'm sorry, you know? And some of you guys look at the mirror like every five minutes and you're like, yeah, thank you, Mr. Mirror, right? And you're just as excited, but I got news for you. It has nothing to do with the mirror. It's not the mirror's credit that you look so good and it's not the mirror to blame that you look so bad. You know why? All the mirror does is reflect. And he's saying, all that we're supposed to do is reflect the glory of God. And you know what I understand is that I'm only supposed to reflect the glory. That means every time in my life, whichever way I'm pointed, I always got to make sure that I'm pointed at God. Otherwise, he's not going to reflect in my mirror, right? And so if I'm trying to reflect God, I got to make sure I'm pointed towards him at all times so that I can reflect to other people. And the times when I'm not reflecting God, you know what the problem is? I'm letting some sinful wrong thing come in and I'm aimed at that. And that's what gets reflected out to other people in my life. You guys understand? So if we're a mirror only created to reflect God's glory, don't point yourself towards sinful things. Don't point yourself towards anything that is going to reflect something bad towards other people or in your own life, right? If we're a mirror, stay pointed at God so that's all you're reflecting to other people. It keeps us humble. I like that. I really, really like that part of it. And then he says, um, it is the Spirit who makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And some of your Bibles, it might say, and we, are, we change from glory to glory, right? God blesses us. And what I read about that is we're only getting better as we follow the Holy Spirit. Write that down in your notes, right? Write it personally. I'm only getting better as I follow the Holy Spirit. I know this to be a true fact that Christianity is progressive and you get better and better and better. If you're having a hard time right now, here's what I want you to do. Look back in the history of your life, all the times that you've been following the Holy Spirit and see what happened in your life. Look back at all the times when you haven't been listening to the Holy Spirit and just judge for yourself which is better. If you're listening to the Holy Spirit and following Him, you will understand, I'm only getting better. I'm all, I don't care what you say about me. I'm only getting better as I listen to the Holy Spirit in my life. Amen? Yeah. It's been a good sermon for you guys tonight. Yeah. Let's, uh, straight to God, right? Reflecting. So let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we, uh, we love you, Father God. We thank you for, for the Apostle Paul, Lord, and just in his letters, how it inspires us today and what the truth of your word is all about, Father God. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Never mind me. Lord, seriously, never mind me. I just do what you want me to do, Lord, and I just try my best to reflect your glory, but it's all you, Father God, and that's all we're here for. Lord, in this church and all the ways that we do things differently, it's not even about that. It's not about the style of anything. It's the fact that we have different styles, but we're here for you, and you're the one that is making this church healthy and prosperous and grow, and you're changing lives. Lord, you are the one that, is, that gives the living proof in our lives that we're qualified to serve you and to follow you. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would expect big things from you, Father God, that we wouldn't limit the amount that we can handle, Lord, because you have so much to give us. And I pray, Father God, that we begin to pray big prayers, that we'd have big faith, and we'd expect to see your glory even more brightly in our lives than Moses saw on his face coming off Mount Sinai, than the miracles that Joshua saw with making the sun stand still. The miracles of Elijah praying for the rain to stop and it stopping for three years. Lord, that we would see big things like that because we ask for big things like that, because we expect big things like that. And Lord, we understand that they gotta be in accordance with your will, but Lord, we need to start asking a lot more often and a lot bigger than we have been. Lord, challenge us to start praying the audacious, crazy prayers that only you could answer so that we would be assured that when they happen, that we could have nothing to do with it. It's all about you. Lord, we're going to pray right now for anybody in the room that, that wants to become a Christian, that wants to start a relationship with the living God that could do so much in your life. 
And right now we've got our eyes closed and our heads bowed, but if you're here tonight and you came looking for Jesus, you came looking for help, maybe you don't even know what you came looking for, but life isn't that good and you believe that you found something that's good. And I believe that that's God and that he's been waiting for you to come to him and he wants to do big stuff in your life. If you'll just say yes to him and begin to follow him, surrender to him, let his ways become your ways. And if that's what you'd like to do tonight, I'd like to say a prayer with you to really become a Christian and know you're a child of God and to follow him and just sit back and watch what he's going to do in your life. If that's what you're going to, if you decided to do right now, and I really hope it is, if you don't know him personally, that you would agree to pray this prayer with me. And what we're going to do is I'm going to pray the words out loud with you and for you. I'm going to ask that you would make the words that I say your words in your heart to God. You would just agree with me. I'm not going to ask you to pray out loud in front of everybody, but I'm going to ask that you would do it in your heart right now. First step is surrender your heart to him. Second step, after service, go tell people. Go confess with your mouth, hey, I prayed that prayer. I prayed that prayer, right? Because if you're, if you're confessing and you're accountable to God, then he's going to be accountable to the Father for you. So first step is in the heart. So if you want to pray that prayer with me and pray along with me, I'm going to count to three, and I just want to know on three if you're going to pray that prayer with me. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand when I count to three just so I know who I'm praying with here so that I know who I'm leading into a prayer of salvation, a new life with Jesus Christ. If that's you on the count of three, just raise your hand. Ready? One, two, three. If you want to join me in that prayer, hold your hands up high, keep them up. I want to, I want to count you. I see one, two, three, people, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen people in the house right now. If I didn't see anybody else, God saw you. Thank you, Lord. Go ahead and put your hands down. Pray this with me right now in your heart. God, I'm here tonight, and I'm looking for help. I'm looking for answers, and I believe that you are the answer. Lord, I'm believing and I'm willing to act on that belief right now by asking you to be the Lord of my life, by surrendering my personal life and my interest and everything to you, submitting it to your ways because I believe you're better, you're smarter, you've got better plans in store for me than I have for myself. So God, here I am. I ask that you would take me. I believe that your son Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the price for my sins. He conquered death by rising from the grave on the third day and proving that the sin and the guilt and the shame and death is all behind me. And Lord, I may die a physical death, but I go immediately into your arms in heaven and never have to face a spiritual death. So Lord, right now, I believe what your son did and I accept it. I receive it. Lord, from this day forward, I will follow you. I will, you will be my God. I will be your son or daughter, Father God, and I will do things your way because you are smarter and better. I promise to read your word, to pray, to get to know you, to be a part of this church, to get water baptized, to receive the full power and glory of the Holy Spirit working the miraculous in my life. Lord, everything that you got for me, I want it. I don't want to put the limits on. I want everything you have for me. From this day forward, God, I serve you. This is not a one-time quick fix prayer. This is a start of a new eternal relationship with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me and for forgiving me and accepting me into your family right now and for what you're going to do in my life in the next weeks, months, years to come. Thank you. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. And we praise God for those people that made that decision tonight, don't we? Amen. Thank you, Lord.